Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Oblin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to continue our series on the generations. We're going to discuss how different generations and their unique perspectives can impact business. How are the various generations similar? How are they different? And what are the implications today, especially as they work with a broad range of stakeholders? You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today are Carol Ornstein, the Chief Strategy Officer at the Conference Board, and Paul Washington, the head of our Environmental, Social, and Governance Center at the Conference Board. Carol, Paul, welcome. Great to be with you. Hi, Paul. Hi, Steve. So you've both listened now to the six recordings. And for those of you who are uh, listening to this online, we have posted these wherever your source of podcasts are. We've posted these all together in order, a representative from each generation, beginning with the silent generation, then the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and the newest generation, Gen Alpha. So we have a podcast with an interview from somebody who represents each of those generations. And so purpose of this conversation is to talk about what we have heard and to whet your appetite to go listen to the rest of these podcasts. So let's start. Uh, Carol, you know, as you as you reflect on having listened to all six of these people across nearly what 100 years of generations, what were your observations? My most interesting observation, I think, and I had to think about this because I listened to all of them, um, and did some reading and research about the generation separately, is that the, the folks you interviewed are actually very shaped by their parents and their grandparents and the prior generation. So even though you would expect them to be in the midst of their own generational situation and, and milestones and activities, a lot of their childhoods and how they were raised reflect the values of their parents and their grandparents. So even if you might be, say, a Gen Xer, and that's the latchkey generation, uh, you know, where there's starting to be more divorce in society, the person that you interviewed comes from a very stable home with, a, you know, two parents and uh, many children and really had a very, um, you know, really what I would call a, a baby boomer childhood. So I, I noticed that in all of them, in fact, that they they really carried the values of their parents and their grandparents. Yeah, and, and that just makes sense because as human beings, we're born, you know, with DNA, but but you know, not with a, any sense of experience, and so it's colored by the experiences that you have, and that, of course, is heavily influenced by your relatives. Yes, I I do think as they talked. And they went on a little bit longer about their you know, day-to-day life that you got to see a little bit more of the influence of their particular generation. So it came out in terms of um, the, the most current generations, much more tech savvy, much more, um, I have to say, extremely <laughs> impressive, not that the older generations were not, but the, young, the younger generations are doing so many things on so many different fronts and accessing information so widely and broadly. They really have a global perspective. The earlier generations, much more focused on hard work, education, family, doing the right thing, um, you know, traditional values, I'll call them. Survival. Yeah, exactly right. So, Paul, some of your observations. Yeah, sure. Look, I was really impressed by how thoughtful everyone was not only about their own generation, but about the relationship with other generations. So that that came through quite clearly to me. 
another thing that I, I agree with with Carol that you know fa- family obviously played an important role, but also the the way shared experience um, affected and defined each generation. And one thing that really struck me was how for earlier generations, war might have been that shared experience. So, you know, the greatest generation shaped by World War II and the silent generation as well in the wake of it, um, baby boomers shaped by Vietnam. But as you go along in time, um, you know, economic events like the Great Recession shaped generations. But the really interesting thing to me was the profound role that technology is playing in shaping generations. The advent of the Walkman at the outset of of Gen X, where people could now all of a sudden walk around not paying attention to the rest of the world, of the internet, of social media, of the smartphone, that those technological experiences are actually having a more profound effect than perhaps the 20-year war we had in Afghanistan. Yeah, but you know, everybody says that this newest generations, the youngest generations are more tech savvy. And when we think about tech, we think about computers largely. But if you go back and you define technology more broadly, sure. Every generation, I mean, remember, there one generation invented the wheel. That was kind of a big technology at that point. You know, agrarian societies evolve, you know, and right. y- you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And, and, and so you have technology has just impacted humanity, isn't it? It has. Sure. You've had the radio generation. You had the television generation. Let's not forget those. But I'd say that those might have been in some ways second order effects or second order impact to some extent compared to things like war. And I guess one thing that I wonder about for future generations, even the concept of generations, is what happens if we don't have those same sort of shared experiences? Obviously, a pandemic or something like that is a global shared experience. But if if technology leads to further atomization in a polarized society, are we going to have those same same shared experiences that are going to even shape what we can recognize as generations in the future? You know, Carol, as, as you as you think about the generations going back, you know, now we you know we're really focusing on uh, generations starting with the greatest generation in 1900. But if you go back prior to that, you know, uh, generations were localized. You know, they didn't travel overseas. There weren't. It wasn't global. It wasn't a global economy. There wasn't global communication, and so you saw differences. You know, as as we as the world has gotten smaller, do you think that generations will become more similar globally? That's interesting. I think as I think back and this builds a little bit on what Paul was just saying, I'm thinking back to my own childhood with TV, for example, or radio before that. That used to bring people together. People used to sit around and watch the same. There were only like three prep programs that you could watch on TV. So we would actually bring the neighborhood together and watch TV on a Friday night. And I think if you think about uh, World War II, two times, people would sit and listen to the radio, right? That's how they got a lot of their news about the war. So I, I do think that p- the pace was slower. The uh, the what was available to people was less earlier on. And I think there was more commonality in what people were wrestling with. And you just didn't hear about the broader world the way we hear about it now. Now, we instantly 24-7 can hear about everything that's happening anywhere globally. Yeah. Paul, what as you as you reflect on this, what do you see as the similarities across generations? Oh, the, one of the things is the is the difference that exists within each generation between the beginning and the end of that cohort. I think that's something that really struck me that the people at the beginner beginning of the boomer generation um, were rather different from those who, like me, came toward the end where we might have more in common with 
the uh, with the with the Gen X's, right? And well, and, yeah, I mean, you know, so that's a great yeah. point because you know, baby boomers end at December thirty first of nineteen. 64, 64 and Gen right. X starts on January 1st. Exactly. So, so those two birth dates probably are more similar than they are with that's know, other exactly parts. right. And and so, but that was a recurring theme. Um, that you you know, there there are people who sort of exist at the borderland of generations who are going to have more in common often, maybe with the next generation than the than the prior one. You know, I think the other thing that struck me uh, across all of the generations was the real challenge that people have in understanding sometimes and relating to the younger generations. I think something that Chuck Mitchell says uh, from the boomer perspective is, like, yeah, they're all younger and they all sort of blend together, right? But and, but the younger generation said the same thing about the older generation. Exactly. They're all right. old. They're all, yes. I don't know. Right. Or, yeah. They're older people. As, as a, Evelyn said in the final one, oh, those are just olden times, olden right? Times, so yeah. olden times was everything from sort of, the year 2000 to the year 1400, as far as I could tell. So it's it's really interesting that, the, but many of those same challenges exist for generations understanding each other. Yeah. Carol, um, lots of similarities. How about differences across the generations? So before I move on to differences, I did just want to touch on one similarity that I actually think the conference board um, does a lot of work around, which is the need for purpose and fulfillment. So all of the generations really seek purpose and fulfillment in their lives, whether it be through work or family or contributing to society. And I think that there's different forms for that, but it's a human universal. I think a lot of the themes, wanting to make connections, uh, adapting, um, there's a lot, There's I, I would actually say there's a lot more in common with the generations than there are differences. So That's I think it's- interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, because when we talk generations, we always say, you know, we talk about the differences because they're different times and all of that. But this, you know, talk more about that commonality. Yeah, I think, you know, we talk too about how life cycle affects everybody, no matter what your generation is. So there's sort of a lot of things that can happen to a person at whatever time they're born. They're going to go through life cycle events themselves. There's going to be external events that affect not just their generation, but everybody living at the time. So we all went through the pandemic recently. I do think the impact of that is going to be different on different generations, because, for example, one thing um, I've read about is how young children who saw people with masks the whole time, like their idea of what a face looks like could have been very impacted if that impacted them like for the first year or two of their life. So I, I do think that the impact of events are different on different generations, even if we're all sharing the event. Um, and then of course, there's the, the one in a lifetime things that do probably impact, like Katie talked a lot about 9-11 and how that really Im impacted and affected her deeply, but she was right there. Let me push you on that. So, so as you think about across this, these six conversations, and again, I, our listeners need to go listen to each of the six, but which were the most profound moments mm. in each of those? Uh, Katie's conversation about 9-11 was definitely profound. This is a Gen Xer, our yes, Gen, a Gen Xer. Xer. So that, that was definitely a profound moment for her. Tell us a little bit about that because so people can go listen. Yeah. So she lives, she lived in New York. She was there. She barely got out of the city back up to her home before they closed down Manhattan. And she said it affected her not just in the in the moment, but it, she was so close to it that it really sort of there's like a before and an after in her life. It really sounded like it changed the rest of her life. Well, like, she had an appointment to be in that tower and in a meeting that morning when the plane hit that building. 
I think and, I blocked that out because that scared me. <laughs> and, 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 and so she felt survivor's guilt and she, and she's still today, just, you know, you can see it when you talk to her, she's just stunned about that. Yeah. I mean, and here's, here's what's interesting. She is the generation though, that's optimistic and forward looking and um, good, positively spirited. So I think it knocked her but she recovered. She's very re resilient. She's that latchkey generation that had to be on their own and both parents were working and she'd have to come home and go out and make her you know, snack and go play. So I see a lot of resilience in her, um, which helped her probably get through that. Other profound moments. I really loved the um, alpha. I loved Evelyn. Um, I, I thought her whole life sounded profound, frankly. This is our nine-year-old uh, Gen <laughs> Alpha. She's, she, she's just extraordinary. She is fully engaged on all cylinders on all fronts. She's learning languages, everything she she's learning to cook. She if she wants to learn how to cook Korean food, she watches a video and then they're making Korean food. Like, there's no culture or educational topic that is not accessible to her within moments. And there's no barrier for her. No barrier. There, there's nothing she she that she doesn't think she can do. She has I was actually a little envious listening to her because I'm more of the generation that, you know, thought you work hard, you stay within the lines, you follow a certain path. And, you know, that's sort of more my um, baby boomer generation. So when I listened to her, I just thought she's such a free spirit. She's so free and liberated. And like the world is literally open to her. And also I had hope that she will solve the world's problems. She touched on climate and Taiwan and China. Like she knows geopolitical events. What nine-year-old? It's, it's extraordinary how much she knows about what's going on in the world. Well, that generation is going to own it. Paul, as you think across, what were some of the profound moments for you? Yeah, there were, I think for me, there were probably four really poignant ones. The one is in your conversation with uh, the teacher from the silent generation who wanted his generation to be remembered as the one um, that embraced human rights. And that, you know, the silent generation kind of gets a bit of a bad, bad rap. And but if you think about what that generation did, Martin Luther King was part of that generation. Right. And a lot of the work that took place when baby boomers were out protesting was done by the silent generation. And that was really moving to me. Another moment that I found really quite moving was um, when Chuck Mitchell from the boomer generation talked about regret. Right. Uh, here was a generation that began with a great with, oh, gosh, uh, material advantages that the world hadn't seen, but then actually turned away from some of the idealism toward consumerism and even sometimes narcissism. And so his moment of regret actually really resonated with me. I, I don't think he's got that much to be that generation has that much to be regretful about. But I, I think that feeling there was 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 really moved me. Um, I was touched too, frankly, and a little saddened by Generation Z talking about being a bit pessimistic, which I understand, right, um, from all that they had seen in the world and had happened to their parents. And then like Carol, I was, I was in fact, yeah, profoundly moved by our alpha generation participant in these discussions. So she is worldly, she is clear-eyed, she is matter-of-fact. The pandemic happened. Sure, the world is dealing with these issues. Sure, but boy, does does she and I think a lot of her co cohort have the um, wherewithal to address this in a very matter of fact, actually relatively adult manner um, that I I found really promising and really encouraging. Yeah. We discussed the uh, unique characteristics of the different generations. We're going to take a short break and be right back. 
What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the conference board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a conference board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the conference board, and I'm joined by Carol Orenstein, our chief strategy officer, and Paul Washington, the head of our ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Center. Okay, so now we're going to pivot a little bit. I'm going to talk about the insights that we found from the conversations as it relates to businesses. Carol, you want to start? Sure. Actually, I would love to start. I want to start with the millennials, with Alex's interview. And she talked about being a risk taker and being collaborative and also wanting a seat at the table. So I think as businesses look to creating teams, to adding value, to figuring out work in the future, taking into account the what the different generations want, whether it's recognition for the boomers or giving the millennials a seat at the table and a voice and an opportunity to work collaboratively, uh, this is going to be so critical for business success. Yeah. And, and Aileen Du from Gen Z also had similar comments. Yeah, she did. Yeah. I, I, again, as I look to the um, newer generations, because they're so used to and so adept at using different technologies, at using different mediums, at creating videos and reading things. They, you know, they, they have so many tools at their disposal that they're very fluid and very agile. And I think that um, all of the generations can learn from that agility. Paul, you know, we, we live in a in an environment, a business environment that is multi-stakeholder. You and I have talked about this. You've written about this. You know, we have customers, we have employees, owners, community, environment a lot of stakeholders to take care of you know, from a business standpoint. What are the implications of the various generations on our, our, our dealings with these stakeholders? Yeah, I think, look, none of the stakeholders groups is monolithic, but I think it's awfully important to think about when you're, when you're trying to convey a story or engage with them on something like the topic of sustainability, right? How do you tell the company's sustainability story to different stakeholders? You've got to be mindful of the generational differences, how one generation may view environmental sustainability, maybe, you know, give a hoot and don't pollute or something like that, whereas others will have a, a much different sort of take on the topic. So I actually think having that um, understanding that, you know, it's not just within each stakeholder group, you have to address the generations where they are in terms that they understand. I guess the other thing that I'd say is that if we're going to bring about the change that any company is trying to effectuate within its own workforce or in its own business, or that we're trying to achieve through public policy um, changes, how important it is to have intergenerational dialogue. I mean, what, what does that mean? So I, I think that, you know, if you're trying to tackle an issue like racial equality, for example, 
Let's hear perspectives from different generations on that. Have a dialogue on that topic among and between folks from different generations, because I actually think that that's going to help produce. It's what we do at the conference board. We bring people together from different perspectives with different expertise to talk about a common topic. And that collision of, of ideas that happens is the alchemy that creates insights that you wouldn't otherwise get. And I think one way maybe to break out of our silos and shells is bring people together from different generations to tackle some of the bigger environmental or social issues we're trying to grapple with. Yeah. And we, we have one of our podcasts uh, was dealing with the marketing communications mm -hmm. challenges to each of these constituents, but also, so not only each of these constituents, but each across the generations, because every customer, every, every customers are represented by every generation community is represented by every generation owners. And so you not only have to think about multi-stakeholders, but then you have to put a third dimension in there. The generational one, the economic one, the ethnic background, the, all, all sorts of different things. I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of kaleidoscopic um, set of audiences that you're trying to uh, reach. But I actually think one way of doing that is also bringing them together across generations from different backgrounds to have conversations that do help identify the common threads that then makes it easier to engage with those stakeholders on those in those areas. Did you say kaleidoscopic? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Oh, yeah. I am not going to be invited back. Carol, the, you know, the other thing is we, we and companies have to live with all these generations or most of them, and we don't have alpha yet, but, but most of these generations under one roof we have to work together. So how do you do that? How do you make that happen seamlessly? So I actually think this adds to what Paul was just saying about the benefits of having lots of different generations, often four or five in the same workplace or same community. And it actually, I think, comes back to values. I actually want to use that the word values because we share a lot of values and different generations have picked different issues that are more front and center because the times called for that. So civil rights was a major um, value that, you know, the, the younger generations now obviously um, believe in that, but it was an older generation that really started the march towards towards more of that. So yeah, and there needs to be sensitivity by one generation to say, okay, it's not fixed, you know, things aren't, you know, where they need to be, but you know, but give credit to all the efforts that have come before you. Is that what yes. you're saying? Yeah, I am. And I'm also saying to um, to to listen to the other generations because sometimes they will take front and center. So right now, sustainability, which is Paul's area of expertise and caring about the planet. Thank goodness the younger generations have that as a front and center issue. I actually think that was an issue back in the 60s, right, when Rachel Carson did Silent Spring. So that's not a new issue, caring about the environment, but it's not a solved issue. So we need all of the generations to work on it. And and it was the baby boomers who created Earth Day in 19, April of 1970 in March and got this thing. To, so I think, you know, what, I think you're making a great point, which is certain generations get blamed for things and other generations, you know, take credit for fixing things. But, it, you know, it they all coexist together at the same time. And, and, you know, it's not as seamless as, you know, one did it and the other one has to fix it, is it? No. And also when it comes to the workplace, I think it's so much better to work with people of different generations. Tell, tell me more about that. I don't want to just work with people who, are, who look like me or think like me. I already do that. So what I really need is other perspectives. I think that every problem is better solved and better thought through by having lots of different people play with it, think about it, 
shift it, pull on it, prod it. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, it in the olden days, as Evelyn would say, you know, the generations lived in one household and you you had three generations and there was a lot of shared wisdom and, and also uh, shared optimism from passing back and forth. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's so you're saying leverage that in today's workplace. Yes. Yeah, and, and, I, and give and give the younger generations the respect that they want. They want the seat at the table and they they deserve the seat at the table. They have great ideas. Well, that's one of those things. I mean, I remember when millennials hit the workforce, that desire that millennials had to have a seat at the table was taken as entitlement. Like, well, you've been at this company for two weeks and you already want to be vice president and have a meeting with the CEO to tell them everything you you already know, right? Um, but I think there's a the flip side of that is for those who are in positions of authority to invite more people from different generations to be at the table, sort of regardless of where they might sit in the hierarchy. So I think if people embrace this approach who are in positions of authority, we'll be better off. Yeah, but it was the same for baby boomers yes. when they came in. You know, you know, sit down, be quiet, put in your mm -hmm. your twenty or thirty years, and then you can, you know, then we'll listen to you. You know, so it's it's every generation just trying to, you know, elbow their way into some sort of respect and you know their place in this thing. Carol, after listening to the discussions, what worries were triggered? I didn't have any worries. I actually felt a lot of optimism after I listened to the interviews. So, what hopes then? I have great hope that we will solve our biggest problems if we can work together. Yeah. And what are those? What, what did we hear? Inequity. We heard environmental issues. We heard threats of future wars, threats of invasions, threats of you know domination of one group by another group. Yeah. And I'll throw one more in here because one of the podcasts that you'll see on the list here was a podcast that interviewed chat GPT. It was an AI interview. And one of the major threats that chat GPT outlined for humanity was AI itself. Something to think about, Carol. That doesn't surprise me. No, I, that <laughs> doesn't surprise me. We're on the road to AGI. And AGI is a scary place. Paul, are our best days behind us or ahead of us after what you know, what's your view after listening to these? So I actually, I think they're ahead of us. I, I mean, I think that if you think about the, the way these generations play out, it's sort of a pattern of a dominant one followed by sort of a recessive one, right? So you have greatest versus silent, then you have, then you have boomers, then you have Gen X, then you have millennials, then Gen Z. And I think Gen Alpha which is the one that's part of the final podcast you did, is going to be one of those very powerful problem-solving, clear-eyed uh, generations that's going to do us an awful lot of good. Now, it's going to be a while before they're in seats of power, although they're probably eager to get there. The they, may, they may be there ahead of some of these other I think they may, they may leap ahead. Look, the one... They have, yeah, yeah, we have to... Our listener, you have to listen to Generation Alpha. You have yeah. If you listen to one... Listen to that podcast because it is very powerful. It really is and 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 heartening and engaging. And look, the one thing that does give me uh, not concern, but I think we really need to focus on, I, you know, the boomer generation, this came through quite clearly that like boomers um, were dealing every day with nuclear peril. It was real, right? Okay, there was a Cuban Missile Crisis. We lived under the threat of nuclear war through most of our upbringing. But there was a sense of security at home. Talked about you could go out and play in your neighborhood, not worry about being shot, right? So that sense of safety at home and being able to deal with peril overseas, 
I worry now about us not having enough safety at home. So I actually think that the prerequisites for some of the things we want to accomplish in social equality on or, or an opportunity on environmental issues really depends on making sure we've got a very strong uh, rule of law and sense of safety at home. So if we can, as a multi-generational effort, focus on that, I think it'll make a lot of the work ahead of us easier. So Carol, when last question, when people look back 100 years from now, what will people say about each of these generations? You know, which of what event will describe them? What, you know, what will be the sort of headline about them? I think the headline will be that no matter what has happened over the hundred years, everybody has certain values that they share that have come to the front, come to the fore for their generation. And I think those things are some of what Paul just mentioned about family and wanting a sense of belonging. Now, family and a sense of belonging may not mean the same thing now that it did back in the silent generation, but still, people still yearn for that. People still want that in whatever form that takes in, in current times. I, I, I do think, I, I'm very optimistic that we will come together and we'll look at the past generations and say, we were making steady progress in solving the greatest problems facing humanity. And though maybe each generation made more or less progress on the set of those issues, that the march has been upward and that we're making forward progress and that we're, 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 we're making the planet better for the next generation. Paul, any last words? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to know what people 100 years from now will say. Partly it depends on whether whether something we've already experienced or are yet to experience becomes a defining moment. You know, is it pre or post-war? Is it pre or post-COVID? What is the defining moment? Because we're close enough to these generations that the nuanced differences to us really come through. But I think 100 years from now, we may all blend together as... That was the set of generations leading up to a particular event um, that was particularly momentous. I think the key thing for us, no matter what that upcoming event may be, is just building the bonds of trust um, among each other, among the generations, so that we, those very human, powerful bonds of trust that enable us to tackle whatever next defining moment we face. Carol and Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Delighted to be with you. Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family, with every generation you know, because I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.